And we are back. How is everyone doing out there? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn. That's at Focus Compound on mm-hmm. Twitter. If you do want to give me a follow, Jeffrey Gannon. How's it going over there? Uh, it's going well, Andrew. I'm at Jeff Gannon. I was going to say, tell the people your that's Twitter. That's my actual name, yeah. <laughs> that is your actual name. <laughs> tell the people your Twitter handle. Hope everyone's having a good day out there. Thank you very much for tuning in. This is the voice part of our business, the podcast part of our business. If you do want to get access to our website where we have a bunch of people writing about investing ideas and individuals and professional investors go to focuscompound.com and be sure to sign up using the podcast promo code which is podcast and i'll take some money off of your monthly subscription price so today we're going to be talking about float Mm -hmm. and float is sort of this magical word that we talk or that a lot of people like to reference in uh, the investing business because of warren buffett always talks about it quite frankly Mm -hmm. um i don't know if a lot of people actually know the what float really is or like examples of float. So I think it's a pretty good topic to talk about. So the way I think about float is obviously the people that do reference it, they always talk about an insurance, how we all pay premiums and the insurance company could take that money and can invest it uh, because they don't have to necessarily pay those premiums out today. Right. And then you could generate money on that free money, essentially. Right. Another simple way of looking about it is think about if you ever rent a place or you live in an apartment or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, you have to pay, um, what it first or in last month rent or a okay. deposit yeah. and uh, that you could potentially get back when your lease is up and sure. that uh, person that owns that, that property, they could essentially in theory, take that capital and reinvest it elsewhere, right. earn a rate of return on that money mm-hmm. practically for free. Yeah. And obviously float is what has made Warren Buffett pretty much one of the richest guys in the world. I'm mm-hmm. losing number two, number three, but who's counting. Yeah. So what do you think about float and, Obviously, it's something that you probably look for in a lot of companies. There's a bunch of different types of float, mm-hmm. but what do you, is float to you, and what do you think, like, how do you look for it in businesses? Well, float's very useful because people usually undervalue it. Uh, investors usually undervalue it. So they focus a lot on earnings, which isn't as important as the cash flow of the business. Yeah. So float is a timing difference. Um, it means, so your average business uh, tends to have a timing disadvantage, which is that it has to invest in stuff before it can make money on it. So it has to buy inventory before it can um, make profit selling inventory. So float is kind of the idea that what if I could sell inventory before I have to buy it, right? And mm-hmm. in some cases, it's what uh, companies actually are able to do. Sure. So if you have a negative working capital cycle where um, if you pay your suppliers after your customers pay you, then you have float. So like an online business selling uh, to customers might be getting 30 days from their suppliers uh, to pay, and yet their customers have to pay with credit cards the day they buy it as it ships. So if they can ship their items um, within 30 days of uh, being invoiced for it by the um, supplier, then they obviously are able to um, get paid for something that they don't actually uh, haven't actually paid for yet. So they're getting paid for it from their customer before they've paid um, their supplier for it. So that's flow. Do you think a lot of people spend more time on the income statement than they should, and they should be more focused on the actual cash that's generated from the company? Yes. Can you explain the difference in that? Well, the income statement doesn't matter. Yeah, directly. and the way I think about it is you think about like a tech company mm-hmm. today, where's a lot of their, um, I guess, their expenditures. It sure. probably goes on like the R&D line. So right. they could show a, a bigger negative profit profit than a company like Walmart back in the earlier days that was allowed to capitalize that expense right. on the cash flow statement. So mm-hmm. their earnings weren't as obviously probably negative as a lot of, of companies. So that's why me personally, I always 
tend to go to the cash flow statement because it's cash. It shows what they're doing in the business. Right? Sure, and cash flow is what matters. So say you buy a ship and you pay a billion dollars for it today um, and then you use it for 30 years. Well, you depreciate over 30 years. So your income statement shows that you're paying for it for 30 years. Yeah. But the truth is you paid for it up front. Yeah. And you need to have a much higher return to justify paying up front for something that you're only going to make returns on over. Or some of your returns will come from the you know back half of that 30 years. So, yeah, the cash flow dynamics are very important. The timing is very important. So, I mean, we were talking before. If you see a company where free cash flow exceeds net income, um, it means it's either a um, positive working capital company that is shrinking or a negative working capital company that's growing. And you know that. So um, most people assume that net income, uh, that free cash flow will tend to be lower than net income, which it will. But for some companies out there, free cash flow is always higher than net income as long as they keep growing. So like an ad agency follows mm-hmm. that pattern, but so would uh, publishers of different subscription things. Anything that gets subscriptions up front would tend to have that um, characteristic. Sure. I mean, in deferred revenue, that's sort of, that's a form of flow sure. as well. So deferred revenue shows up on the balance sheet as if it's a liability. Yeah. However, in many cases, um, either just realistically what will happen or actually um, according to the rules of, of how they made the agreement, um, what they're going to have to deliver is the service. They're not going to have to return the cash at any point. So it's not a liability in the same way debt is. If you see a deferred revenue item of $100 million, they're just going to provide you know whatever the title is. So say that you could pay for, um, well, focus compounding. It's possible to pay a year in advance. Mm-hmm. If you pay in advance, the way that that looks on an income statement for, the, for focus compounding would be that the income statement on a cruel basis shows you as having... Um, basically equally over 12 months um, produce profit, produce revenue and profit uh, of the amount that you paid. But the cash flow is that it comes in at the beginning and then doesn't come in for the next 11 months. And then if you renew, it comes in, uh, you know, again in the 13th month. Yeah. So it's completely different. And it's the cash flow that matters. It's not the income statement. Mm -hmm. No, I think it's a simple way of of thinking Mm -hmm. about it. What companies have you seen um, or come across where they were generating enormous float to the point where it was important to the investment decision? Um, I'd say, well, ad agencies, it's important to the investment business, to the investment decision. How um, does it work then with them? So the average company would um, maybe convert at very best um, 95% of their um, uh, net income into free cash flow, whereas a ad agency, it's not unusual for them to convert 105%. Wow. So they can buy back stock and pay dividends that are equal to more than they earn mm-hmm. um, without piling on debt. And like Omnicom for the last 15 years or so says that it has done about 105, 106%, something like that. Um, so it's meaningful that way. In terms of the math, one way to think about it is nor- for all stocks is that your um, return can kind of be estimated. One way of thinking about it to try to compare value stocks and growth stocks is that your return is free cash flow yield plus growth in percentage terms, both of them. So if you think a company's going to grow 6% a year and you want a 10% return, you need it to have a free cash flow yield of 4%. Yeah. If it has a free cash flow yield of 8% and you want a 10% return, you need 2% growth. Um, now, over time, you know, the compounding um, gets you away from just thinking in that simple a term, but that's not a bad way to think about it uh, when you buy a stock this year to see what your return is this year, mm-hmm. is that you need growth and free cash flow to add up to whatever your sort of hurdle rate is your target. And that's sort of how we always think about it as well. So a company that has um, float 
can grow without having to retain earnings. So a typical company historically in the U.S., big company, uh, grows at 5 or 6% a year but only pays out 2 to 3% a year in earnings. And that gets you to you know um, a high single-digit to low double-digit return for the stock. And that's why stocks return that kind of number. Um, but for a company with float, if it trades at a free cash flow yield of, say, 6%, um, then it has that free cash flow, plus it has growth, but it doesn't need to retain anything in growth, right? Mm-hmm. So if a stock trades at 15 times earnings but has to retain everything to grow, then it could still be a good deal because maybe it's growing 15% a year. You know, If it's growing 15% a year and you want a 10% return, that's great. You know, if you're growing that fast, you don't need to be producing free cash flow right now. Um, but it's the combination of free cash flow and growth that matters. And companies with float, basically, I've said before, they, they get to have their cake and eat it too. They get to produce the free cash flow and grow without paying for that growth. right? And actually, the more they grow, the more free cash flow they would produce. Um, the more they shrink, the more it would reverse, and their free cash flow would drop faster than, uh, than the other numbers you're looking at. A lot of people talk about, or a lot of people in the Valley community that are focused on finding compounders, mm-hmm. they always talk about like return on invested capital, R-O-I-I-C, or okay, sorry, yeah. return on incremental cap, invested capital. Oh, yeah. And how do you sort of think about that and how that relates to flow? You can't calculate that number. Yeah, a lot of people tried, though. It's, it's not possible. Why do you say it's that? It's not reliable. It's a silly number to try to calculate. I yeah. mean, it's theoretically the correct number to try to calculate, and that's fine. It's R-O-I-I-C. Yeah, but what you're trying to do is get the marginal number on a smallest piece of a length of time. So you're doing one year what they invested this year versus what that return gets them. That's it's not a stable enough number to be able to do the calculation. So it'll give you weird results. Uh-huh. So for like you, you just, you just kind of factor in, well, this is a very high return on invested capital business and kind of go No, from I, I look at what they're going to spend it on. Uh-huh. I think we've done that before where yeah, I say, have. okay, yeah. so they'll probably spend this much on dividends. Okay. Then you pay a tax on the dividends. So that's less. They spend this much buying back stock. Well, if the stock's attractive and we think it's going to return more than 10% a year, their buybacks will also return more than 10% a sure. year in mm-hmm. that sense. Um, and so you do the calculation that way. And then like whatever they're investing in, like acquiring things, I do that calculation too. Um, yeah, o- over time it matters what the return on, how do I put this? The return on equity at a company doesn't matter. What matters is the return while you own the stock. So the fact they made a terrible investment in the past that's earning 2% on their purchase price does not matter if you get into it today unless they're going to do that same thing again. Mm-hmm. I was talking to someone recently about a company that's, I don't remember, maybe $13 billion project or something. Um, so it's a big project, and they expect certain returns on it. Um, one of the issues was, okay, is this a good project or not? No, I think the returns are, are going to be that high. They're going to be in the you know high single digits at best. Okay. Then the question is, will they ever do this again? Because it doesn't matter that they made this decision in the past if they're sinking that cost into it and that's it, Right. But it matters in the future what they're going to do. Sure. Right? And so that's the only number that matters that way. So, yeah, return on, return on incremental vested capital would theoretically be the right number. But it's not meaningful because it's not a number you can measure correctly, in my view. Other people may disagree. Have you looked at the number? Well, yeah. But, but do you find it to be yeah. stable? No. Not okay. at all. I mean, I know a lot of people do, do it, sort of the people in the, in the, the compounding community. A lot of people okay. always talk about it, return on incremental Invest the capital. Yeah, I think it's a very important number. I just don't think we can observe it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But you do sort of observe it, but not the way that they, they do it, I would oh, say. Oh, over long periods of time and stuff, Absolutely. you can observe it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. When I say you can't observe it, observe it, I don't mean that 
you can't get guesses about what it is over long periods of time. Yeah. I'm saying if like they're going to show what it is quarterly and annually. Yeah, that's very hard to do. Yeah, and then you add in the fact that you want cash instead of accrual. You know, those are I've said before. You need to take three year average of free cash flow, mm-hmm. not one year, just because there's all sorts of items that you're not going to notice in the free cash flow statements that um, are cha- in the cash flow statement that's changing. Um, just in terms of like inventories being drawn down or up or whatever, that's just an issue of timing. What are other forms of float that people could look out for? Uh, I know we said we talked about like deferred revenue. Mm-hmm. It'll show up as deferred revenue generally. Yeah. yeah. All database companies have it usually. Any subscription model has it. A premium is a for an insurance company or basically a subscription model. Any subscription, you have it. So generally, it's a subscription company. We don't think of insurance as being something you subscribe to, but it is. Uh huh. So, um, you know, with ad agencies, I told you it's the difference between the timing of the payments. It can happen with companies like that. Dell, I think, had um, uh, negative working capital. Um, Amazon, in some of its businesses, has negative working capital, and some it doesn't. But we talked about that a lot with, like, when we wrote about Granger and stuff. Amazon, for selling for consumers, would be able to generate float. But selling business to business would not be able to generate float. So, because you have because to send credit to businesses, yeah, they yeah. won't put up with not getting credit. So, do you think like when you learn about float, it just really comes from obviously learning about their business model, and then, uh, well, it's looking at certain and then things. like things on like the cash flow statement, and obviously if you see like deferred revenue on the balance sheet. The, well, what I tell everyone to, to do, my biggest suggestion is take whatever company you're looking at, take like 15 years of their history, add it all up, all the free cash flow, add up all the net income. Uh, divide one into the other to get the ratio of free cash flow to net income. Um, in almost all cases, you're going to see the free cash flow is lower than net income. Uh-huh. But um, And you'll see how bad it can be in some cases, uh, which can be very bad for companies that are very asset heavy. But um, you just look for the companies that generate more free cash flow than net income. Um, and those would be the ones that have float over time. Uh, they can do it, like I said, if they're shrinking, if a company's liquidating, mm-hmm. uh, if it's getting smaller, if it's closing stores and selling inventory and stuff, then yeah, it could generate free cash flow in excess of net income for a while while it's shrinking. But the average business has to invest in growth before it grows. Uh, any company that gets paid to grow, cash comes in at the first step of its growth, is a company with a float. That's probably a good company. Or it's a good situation. Yeah, we have. have a write-up on the website um, that someone else did, not me, about a senior living community in uh, New Zealand, I believe. Uh-huh. And they get float because they get deposits from people. And so basically they use the deposits that they get from their residents to build the next building. So it's almost like it's financing their business. Mm-hmm. It's like a perpetual motion that way until yeah. that until they stop building more things, yeah. No, that's definitely interesting. Or until it doesn't work out. Yeah. So a business with float is one that's financed by customers, basically. Yeah, that's, I think that's a good way to kind the of entire bank portfolio of assets is is um funded by float mm-hmm. it's depositors yeah. sure i think that's a good way of uh, describing it do you have any thoughts on the topic no nope, that's a float well great well we want to thank everybody for tuning in to listen to us here today if you do want to get access to jeff's weekly memo that he does send out go to focuscompounding.com and if you do become a member there is a database of all of Jeff's um, weekly memos that we've sent out that you can reference also if you do want to follow us on twitter Mm-hmm. Jeff tweets all day long. All day. I'm Every just day. kidding. <laughs> Go to that. Uh, you can find him at, at Jeff Gannon. That is his name. G-E-O-F-F Gannon. G-A-N-N-O-N. And I am at Focused Compound. Other than that, thank you very much for tuning in. We will see you in the next podcast. Take care.